Fame is a funny thing. And one, it's、um, a chip that people use to, as a business. You would put so and so's picture on your website. You could convince somebody to hire you just on the fact that that person was with your stuff. But it's also、uh, they're they're human beings, you know. And I think sometimes when you just start throwing them around, it's like, well,、wow, so and so and so and so, and it's just it it sometimes doesn't come off right. It can come off like I'm I'm important because I've worked with important people, you know. And so if you're not treating people. With respect, or you know, with some level of of humanity, or even doing good business, no one wants to work with you anymore. This is the Hillsong Creative Podcast, where we hear from creative experts and influencers, the dreamers and the doers, what they've learned. And what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. I'm Rich Langton, and on today's episode, we have video director Ben Nicholson. Well, so great to have you back on another episode. Thanks for joining us today. We have Ben Nicholson being interviewed. I had only recently met him before we had the interview, but the way he was described to me was someone who's worked on the Super Bowl halftime shows, and he's worked with Grammy award-winning artists, and his work has been used in stadium tours by some of the major artists in the world. But what I loved about Ben was that he didn't describe himself that way, and he didn't try to leverage those relationships or the things that he's done in the past. Ben is an interesting man, and there's a lot of depth to him. So as we listen, let's jump in and let's really learn from the tone of the interview and what Ben doesn't say, as well as what he does. Thank you so much for coming, Ben, and coming all the way to Australia and, and hanging out with us at the conference now. But yeah, thanks but for having also, me.、Um, it's really, really a pleasure.、Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, thanks for this too. Yeah,、um, I'm excited to ask you lots of. Great questions and to get to know you. Yeah,、um, I know a little bit about your sort of backstory of what, where you got to now, but、yes. but if you had to sum it sum it up,、mm-hmm. um, who is Ben Nicholson?、Mm. Um, I think you know I'm 42. I got into the music, video, entertainment business、um, out of college.、Um, Wanted to be in filmmaking, and nobody wanted to hire me when I moved to LA. So I got involved in what was called the.、Uh, There's a magazine called Res Magazine that some of your older listeners might remember, and it was the art of digital filmmaking. And it was published when I got out of school in 1998. And、um, the first issue was there when I was living in California. I moved to California right after I graduated, and、um, a. Subsequently, about that time was the beginning of motion graphics as we know it.、Um, it used to be a lot of、um, people would do post production with flames and you know hundred thousand dollar computers, and then it became a desktop thing with After Effects and Photoshop and Illustrator. And I got a job as an IT guy、um, at a place called Fuel in Santa Monica,、um, and they're one of the the first places that actually were doing motion graphics with Mac computers and things like that.、It、was there at about the time they had.、Um, Gotten the ESPN X Games, which was like the holy grail for those guys because they were all skaters and surfers and things like that. And、um, I wasn't there for very long, but it sort of it, it exposed me to a, a world that I didn't even know existed,、um, and gave me an odd skill set in that I knew how to fix SCSI drives and 
reinstall Mac OSs and things right. like that. So, um, and that was really my foray into animation. From there, I learned how to do animation, um, meaning After Effects 2D motion design animation. Because uh, my boss at the time went on to another company. I followed him there, and he taught me how to use After Effects. And uh, that, you know, long story short, got me back to Ohio with my wife and ended up at a motion design company, post-production company in Ohio called Lightborn. And was there for about six years um, and became the creative director, kind of operations guy by the time I was 28. Um, and it was also the time that my entire life was crashing and burning because of all sorts of ambition and things like that. And I got offered a job to work at a church, Crossroads, where I'm back now. And uh, I have to say I got saved when I was on church staff. I don't know how I got, I don't know how I got on church staff, but I ended up going because I needed a change in my life right. for a lot of reasons, for personal reasons and um, for relational reasons with my family. And it uh, gave me a chance to reset everything. Um, and yeah, I mean, God found me in a, in a powerful way there, um, which I can talk more about if that's interesting, but, um, and it was there for a good three years and really thought I was going to go work at a church that was as a philanthropic exercise when I first showed up there. Um, and then it became, it was a lot more about my personal healing and trying to understand what it means to actually follow Jesus. Um, and God took me out of there after three years, and I ended up going back to Lightborn, but not in the same capacity. I went to work for the guy I hired to be, who was, I hired an executive producer who then hired me back, but I was just the creative director. Right. So I didn't have to bear the full weight, which was really nice. Um, and while I was there, I, we got, um, we were looking for to differentiate our skill set. So we were doing lots of local commercials, um, some short film stuff, and then realized that, yeah, like we needed to make money from another another way. Mm. And uh, so we, me and an editor named Jeremiah Schuff, we went, we went to school together and we drove down to Nashville and just cold called production companies because it's like a, th- what is it, four hour drive from Cincinnati. And we fell in with this guy named uh, Sean Silva who was doing music videos for Kenny Chesney. And he decided to take a shot and let Jeremiah edit the music videos. Okay. And then it, that was right at the time that he was getting really big. Um, and so we started making more songs for his live shows. He went to stadiums, and then the video component, the te- video technology with video content was escalating at a rapid rate with Mbox and um, all sorts of other things, and so people were really relying on it as their main set piece. And so we got attention because we could do it um, at a professional video level because at that time it was guys who kind of did it, friends of the band, whatever, and it wasn't it wasn't as legitimate as an enterprise. And we were able to bring a level of professionalism, deliver on time and do it well that people were surprised by and that we, we had made a name for ourselves in that, in that arena. And I did that there for about eight years. Um, and that led to all sorts of um, interesting adventures. For me, it was, I really enjoyed not being in the normal video world. I really enjoyed producing things for screens that weren't rectangles. There was all sorts of shapes and pixels and half of it was figuring out the how, the process, you know. And um, also the fact that you would go and just drop computers into an arena or a a hockey locker room and Mm. make a video production company was was interesting. So it kind of felt like the special forces of video. Um, 
Um, and also I love music. So mm-hmm. I'm not a musician, but I love music. So it got to, I got to do video for music, yeah. which is something that I really enjoyed. And the thing that I ended up in reflection that really, really, I really enjoyed was how production was more regimented than most creative executions because it's multi-departmental. And so there was this need to work as a team. There was a need to understand like who was in charge. You know, you go into different ecosystems and have to figure out who's got, I like to say, who's got the creative gun, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so it was always a different set of personalities. And I, and I liked that kind of the figuring out end of it. Mm. And then uh, from there I ended up um, leaving and for almost three years was a part of another company which I was a partner um, and we were doing a similar set of things but a little bit differently where it was becoming more of a technology media consultancy um, also producing video content but really people were coming to us to um, how to use their money wisely and how to do content or technology integration for live shows in a way that made sense budgetarily and right. the right equipment. So it was a, it was a, it, it started to become more of a consultancy, I think. Mm. And then um, just de- just recently, I, about four months ago, I really felt strongly that God was telling me that it was it was time, some for personal reasons, to be around for my kids at the age they are and mm-hmm. have a better rhythm for my family. But there was something that was really going on that was much deeper, I think, which was falling in love with the church mm-hmm. again, which is a whole subtopic. But yeah. um, he just really took me through about, again, three or four years that I fell in love with the organized church. Mm-hmm. When I had left um, first time working for a church, I didn't think I would ever be back. I I don't know that I really lost hope. It was just not, it didn't feel like me. It wasn't personal. So I did a house church thing for a while and banged around. And then, uh, I don't know. I I don't know if you want to go this way or which way. Where where should I go next? I'm loving just hearing the journey. (laughs) So that, yeah. Wow. So here's a question. So uh, in amongst all of that, yeah. I guess when I first heard about you, yeah. when um, you know one of the guys here came and said, "Ah, oh, yeah. there's this guy. You need to meet him. We yeah. need to talk to him." Um, it was in relation to, I guess, the people that you'd worked with, and yeah. and it, um, you know they listed some of the clients, I guess, mm-hmm. that you'd had, or the the famous people yeah. that you'd worked with. And I, I noted when you were telling the story, you didn't mention any of those. Yeah, <laughs> is that was that on purpose or? Well, I think it's a. It's an interesting, fame is a funny thing. Mm. And one, it's um, a chip that people use as, in, in, in unhealthy ways. Yeah, You know, you use it, I mean, to, as a business, you would put so-and-so's picture on your website uh-huh. and you could, you could convince somebody to hire you just on the fact that that person was with your stuff. Yeah, And so I'm always very, like, I don't know why I'm as relu- I, I don't totally understand why I'm reluctant, but it feels like there's like kind of a, a respect of mm-hmm. like, yeah, I've been to. I mean, I've had the great privilege. God's allowed me to be a part of some amazing lifelong dreams with mm-hmm. the people that I've worked with. Yeah, and um, but it's also uh, they're they're human beings, you know. And I think sometimes when you just start throwing them around, it's like, well, it's so and so and so and so, and it's just it's. It sometimes doesn't come off right. Mm. It can come off like you're name dropping, yep. and and I want, I'm happy to talk about those things. I just don't want it to come across mm. like 
I'm, I'm important because I've worked with important people. Right. You know, if that makes sense. Do you find that people, when they, when they hear that you've worked with whoever, uh, that they treat you differently? Yes. Yeah. They do. I mean, it, it's, it's inevitable. It gives you instant credibility, which is a funny thing. Mm. Yeah. Because it really has nothing to do with my character, does right. it? Right. Just somehow I managed to get those jobs and be with that person. And they or may not they or may or may not be healthy and or interesting. Right. Yeah, I find it really it's an interesting area to talk about, particularly I guess for our audience listening, because mm-hmm. I think as Christian creatives, oftentimes uh, like the pinnacle of success might be that a Christian is working mm-hmm. with, you know, some secular name. Yeah. Um, and somehow that 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 means something more, or that somehow um, that that's the goal. Um, yeah. And and in reality, that may be a great outcome, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily the goal, right? No, and I think you know, even I, I think you could loop the two things together because I think from a Christian perspective, you could say, "Well, I'm taking God's light into dark places," or yeah. something like that. You could also say I'm taking my creativity into this arena. Mm-hmm. And so you carry these things with you into these spaces. But what I found as I did it much more when I was younger, of like even you would have a client, let's say, you know, arena rock superstar guy, mm-hmm. and you were trying to leverage that platform to show your thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you start thinking, you know, like, well, am I in here and interested in being here because I think I could make them a believer. Right. And then you're like, well, well then what's my, mo- is, it, is that a good motivation? Or is it a relational motivation that you, and I've, I've learned, and I don't know, I mean, there are people who have, I'm not an evangelist, as uh-huh. you might imagine. <laughs> uh, there are people who have evangelical call that are much more aggressive about things, yeah. or people who are much more creatively aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, this is the thing, and, and, and this is what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But you begin to have to listen to them because you either have your ideas shot down, like let's just move to the creative space. You, you have your ideas shot down because you're not really listening to the song. Mm-hmm. Like, are you really? Do you really understand what he what he's talking about? Do you really understand what they're asking for? What's the heart of the song? What's this mean? Rather than like you wanting to make your own personal film and attach it to that person's name. I mean, that happens all the time. Mm. I did it, um, but to get to that space where you treat everybody like, and this is their work. Mm. You're a part of it. You need to listen and be a part of the team mm. and contribute. And you know as low or high as you can. And also realizing that what I also appreciated about even the music world is it was very small group Mm. of community of people, like highly relational. Mm. That's the biggest mistake I think a lot of people make going into the music industry or even like the touring industry. Everybody knows each other. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not treating people with respect or, you know, with some level of of humanity or even doing good business, Mm. no one wants to work with you anymore. And so... That was that thing of relationship first, you know. I, I wanted to be people's friend and, and do right by them. Mm. Hey, I really hope you're enjoying the episode so far. In case you didn't know, our podcast is brought to you by the Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference. It's a conference for all creatives, and it's something that I really encourage you to be a part of. If you'd like more information, go to hillsong.com forward slash WCC. I'll be there, our whole team will be there, and I'd like to see you there too.
I'm Ben Nicholson, and these are my Fantastic Four. I would be terrible at a middle school or elementary school teacher. My favorite movie this year has been either the Batman movie, Lego movie, or Thor Ragnarok. And it's because I have two boys who are 12 and 10. And to sit in a movie and watch your boys be utterly delighted and jump around because things that are awesome like giant dogs fighting the Hulk is is pretty pretty fun so <laughs> uh, the title of the current chapter of my life would be living his dream meaning living God's dream the album I'm listening to right now is not necessarily an album I'm listening to a series of songs so when I was on the airplane over here I had uh, Jason Upton's Seek First on continuous replay. I think probably about for seven hours while I was sleeping. <laughs> that was, and then uh, I've been fascinated by Glimmer and, and Dust. I just keep listening to that one over and over again. I generally don't listen to albums. I'll get stuck on a song and I'll listen to it over and over again. So then um, you've been on this journey of realizing, yeah. I guess, um, that season was coming to an end. Yeah. And somehow you find yourself back at the same church you were at mm-hmm. some years before. Yeah. How do you, how are the worlds different or how do you see the, the differences or are they the same um, creatively? Obviously spiritually they're quite different, but, yeah. but how do you see that? I, I think we're actually in some sort of seasonal change. And I think that whereas we might have thought, hey, we'll bring the light of Christ into dark areas or, you know, I'm going to hold my position out here in this or maybe this is just a personal thing for me, mm-hmm. is it wasn't about going out, but it was grouping together and going to create something that could declare the name of Jesus and be a lighthouse to the world mm-hmm. in no-holds-barred, 211 way. And... When I, when I encounter, actually, pivotal in my journey was I encountered Hillsong about four years ago. I was kind of late to the game. <laughs> I didn't really start getting into real worship music until about four or five years ago. Mm. Um, didn't ha- I didn't know any good music actually existed until right. <laughs> I, I found a vein on Spotify actually made it possible for me to like worship music. And, um, and that's all I listen to anymore. Mm. And I think... What I saw when I went to I went to Hillsong Worship concert um, in, near Cincinnati, and I, it floored me. And it was I never worshipped the Lord for more than thirty minutes mm-hmm. in my life, and it was like what an hour and something maybe. And it was like standing in a vortex of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I was I was in tears the entire time, and it was heavy. And Christine King came and, and preached, and she, it was amazing. People, I think some people were getting delivered behind me. And, mm-hmm. and then the visual execution, the musicianship was excellent. And I was like, how is this possible? Because you'd not seen that before? Mm-mm. And, I, I, it was, and it was also just the, what I would understand now, mm-hmm. what my heart was resounding to, was the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like declaring, making his name great, known to the nations is a huge deal. Yeah, it's just been on my mind even that past week. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole different game. It's not just making, it's not just making great music and making songs about God. This mm-hmm. is about fulfilling the thing that is to come. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like grabbing onto like I call it a rope toe or getting on a ski lift, and you, you just get pulled by it. Mm-hmm. 
So that that part of it made me pay attention to the large group meeting again. I had dismissed it. Right. And even, even though you'd seen, I guess, you'd seen stadiums yeah. and you'd seen it, in a sense, done in the world. Yeah. But you ne- couldn't ever associate could never that associate, with church. Yeah, or, I couldn't see that it was actually right. that good. Yeah, right. And And there were a couple other things that happened in there, but the other part of it was just really getting to... Again, this is a part about God really romancing me back to to the church. I um, uh, a pivotal moment for me. I had a really bad experience happen at my house and with a house church meeting. That with a it was it's not even worth going into, but it was really not fun. Mm-hmm. And I was went, went to sleep that night and I had a dream. I'd ask God. I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I don't know where to take my family. And it was, and in my dream, it was John Wimber's son came up to me. I didn't know anything about John Wimber really. Came up to me and he opened this book, this book, and he goes, read all these verses about caring for the, the sheep. And he said, God says you need to take care of his sheep. And then, and he opened to another part. And he said, and he needs, he, he wants you to exercise his gifts, your gifts. And then he closed the book, and I woke up. And there was a vineyard church that was up the road from me. So we went on Easter, and there was a guy there. He gave his testimony on Easter Sunday, and it was about how God delivered him in a dream from mental illness, like straight up living on the streets, and his parents told he would never be a functioning human. And he's giving his testimony, and in that, in that Sunday, he, he uh, asked people if they wanted to receive Christ. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anybody receive Christ on Easter in a church. Right. And I, I've... God and I have interesting conversations, so I would say that that conversation I had, he had with me while I was watching that was really humbling. He said, see, there's more people here being saved right now than any in your entire life. And it was about three years of me going to the, that vineyard church that like, it, I fell in love with it mm-hmm. again and believed in the use of the church building and, right. and the traditional service. I grew more in three years just going to a Sunday service there than I had in 10. Mm-hmm. I, and, and it was about a lot of pride and, and things in, in my own heart. So mm-hmm. I'd gotten to a place in my career as like I was working for the band I, I dreamed I would when I was 16. And I, it's, it was clear as day. I was standing there and in a, in a, listening to rehearse and, and I just felt like, I felt like God said, you know, yeah, I, I've given you your dream. It's time to live mine. And I just was like wept. And I was just like, yep, you did. And God's that good. Mm-hmm. And that's a totally different perspective from giving something up. Mm-hmm. Like I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish at 42 years old. Uh-huh. I'm like, all right, I'll do whatever you want, God. And so I, I applied back at Crossroads, and they wanted me to come in and mm-hmm. help with some things that I thought I could add value to. And it's all my friends from, yeah. you know, since I, you know, one of them baptized me. The other ones ministered to me, and they're good friends of my family. So it's been a really good, good fit. Love that. Yeah. I, I can remember a similar experience where um, a few years back now, but I was um, on a delirious tour with Reuben Morgan from mm-hmm. here, who's my brother-in-law. But oh, yeah. so we were traveling together, and I remember standing there and think, just having the same sort of thing, yeah. where, um, where where God had fulfilled lots of my dreams in it. Yeah. I guess in a short time frame and and it was almost like um, he was sort of saying um, like Ephesians where God can do um, more than we can ask or even think or imagine. Yeah. Um, 
it was almost like he's saying, like, your dreams are good, yeah. <laughs> you know, great dreams, um, but I've got those covered and and more. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's it's so easy to get caught up in just having dreams for your life or, or wanting to fulfil things and that's good, but then when you realise that God has got sort of got your back, he's got... Um, more for you and 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 the more is found in kind of submitting what we want to what what he would want mm-hmm. it's it's ironic mm-hmm. but it's that's where the sort of the abundant life really is as it turns out yeah um so now you're at a church and you're trying to i guess now fulfill what he would have and yeah. building his kingdom through the church if you could sum up how you hope that looks or what you imagine God might do, what, yeah. what would you say? There's a couple things. I think what I'm what I'm after long term is to be a part of where God is and where He's going. Because to go back to what I said before, I think it's it's almost like the gray areas are disappearing. I say the lights are going out in culture. And kingdom culture is what's coming forth. And I think that's what I would say to creatives is to not compromise your view on kingdom culture and keep the light on in something that's meant to go dark. It's black, I think there's a black and white phase coming and people are going to be running towards the church and we need to be ready for it. Yeah. And so I, as a creative person, I find myself in an interesting place caring more about infrastructure than I do about vision, which is maybe just God flipping it in my own brain. But it's going, will our infrastructure sustain a massive wave of people? Mm. Will our problems be exasperated by pressure in the system? And we've got to start screwing things down to the deck. The things that are known, anchor them. The things that are unknown, try to figure them out. Mm. But it's just, it's, it's an, I think we're, it's going to be one of the most amazing times in human history. I really believe that. And I just want to help make the church ready for that, whatever that means. And if that means sound business practices or how to have a thriving creative culture in so much as it matters to me. I, you know, my goal for Crossroads is the, it's the greatest place creatively to come work on the planet, you know. And I think we, we as the church, if we have kingdom culture, should aspire to that. doesn't mean we pay people a million dollars and have swank offices all the time, but that we do really live out, uh, what's it, Romans 12, where that we would love build each other up in love and all that. I don't remember. You probably know that much more than I do. <laughs> mm, I, um, there's so much that I could ask yeah, you about yeah. all of that, and, yeah. and I guess we've got a few days together, so yeah, yeah. maybe hopefully yeah, we yeah. can find another time to grab some more yeah, yeah. stuff if that's cool. Yeah, but, no problem. Um, but thank you for now and yeah. for, for being able to talk about I feel like... Um, you know, in our in our Hillsong creative world, where we've been going through similar sorts of thinking, and um, because I think that God is doing something pretty unique on the earth, and I think He is, um, I don't know, He's raising creative awareness. Uh, I, I think, mm-hmm. um, and the need for creativity in the church, not just music, yeah. not just um, the like you said, the three songs and then a sermon, but mm-hmm. but real ways of. Um, Expressing the gospel in ways that make sense to people that that isn't necessarily through through just one um, media. Um, maybe maybe a last thing on that, if I, if you allow me, yeah. is I think 
I think we're going to, in the same way that there's this batten down the hatches, like get things settled, it's also no, this is what I would say to people who are listening to this, is knowing who you are before the Lord is huge. And then knowing who you are within your church is huge. And then knowing where your church is in the world is huge. Because if somebody had told me that 10 years ago, it would have been really helpful. There's a part of, I'm 42, so I'll say this to everybody younger than me, is that the ego is gone. And in that creative world, if we can get to a place where the ego is completely gone and we're working together, it's something really special can happen, you know, across the planet, really. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) I love that thought, the thought of ego being something foreign to us as Christians and as Christian creatives. I love the thought that that we don't attach our value to the people that we've worked with or the, the jobs we've worked on, but that we attach our value to Christ and the message that He's given us. My takeaway from that interview is this. Let's be people whose motivation is not centered around trying to get the most from others, but really about what we can give, what we can build into others, how we can see them prosper and move forward, how we can help them to find Christ, and how we can help them to navigate the life that they're given to live. Next up, we've got the Creative Compass, where we explore some of the things that we are wanting to value as a creative team here in Sydney, Australia. This section is with Mashiri, Annie Garrett, and myself. So let's jump into the Creative Compass. So for a long time, probably as long as Hillsong Church has been around, <laughs> excellence has been a key value as a church and as a, as a team. So how do you define excellence? Because sometimes excellence can be, well, that service went well, or excellence can be that conference, we actually, you know, it happened <laughs> um, and, and it went well, nothing right. major went wrong. Yeah. But is that excellent? Is that how we should approach it? It could be or it could. It's a component <laughs> of excellence. All right. I think well, it's like, oh, go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. go. I think go. It, we've got to look at the process of how we get somewhere because for us, like, yeah, we do conferences and we have a lot of different events and you can, the end result can be amazing and then you can f- forget <laughs> what the lead up looked like and yeah, maybe where precisely. it took its toll. So mm-hmm. I think as leaders, we need to always be looking at like, yeah, we pulled it off or it was a success in some ways, but how were people treated along the way or like how was the communication or how was the experience for our volunteers? It's not mm-hmm. just did we achieve something or complete something, but mm-hmm. what was the experience for everyone involved? Because we're not about like events or right. it, we actually are stewarding like a whole team. Yeah. So what is that like? So then is excellence, I mean, it could be so easy to think about excellence just as in terms of, for example, the musicians played well. And they didn't hit any bum notes. They were, right. they were all good. It was excellent. But there's something more to having a spirit of excellence than just that, right? Yeah, I think that's that is a component because if they didn't play the music right, and if they didn't, you know, turn up on time, and if they didn't, that's you also address that too as part of excellence. But then, if that happened well, they, everything was you know actual execution of a whatever was done well. That's good. Let's move on to the next component of excellence, which is like what Annie is saying. What mm. did it cost to get there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you played well and you were at every rehearsal and you were whatever. But then what happened that week was you had sick kids at home and your wife was by herself. That me- And you kept saying yes. And that took its toll all week. And now you've gone back home to 
Mm. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, I think you, the leader's perspective. You didn't perspe- do your assignments. Exactly. Then- <laughs> or you, yeah, or you, right. Exactly right. So the leader's perspective on excellence has got to be holistic. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it does include playing well and executing a conference or a service well. Mm. But then the leader goes beyond that and looks at, looks at what it took to actually get that. Mm-hmm. And was it worth the cost? Right. So Pastor Brian would sometimes talk about a spirit of excellence. Would you see that there's a difference between just playing well, for example, and what we're talking about, this extra bit is the spirit of it? Yeah, I think this spirit is actually, the spirit of excellence encompasses way much more than performance, way, way more. I think, I keep going back to what Andy said, it, the spirit of excellence looks like everything surrounding the activity that's being measured. Right. And then weighing that up as to whether or not it was worth doing it or, mm. or was done well, or mm. was it done well, the communication, mm. the lead up to it, the the cost that was paid by the individuals who contributed to it. Right. Was it worth it? Mm. And if it wasn't, what's the lessons that, what lessons have been learned? What measures have been put in place to make sure that that does not happen again? Because in some ways, excellence is progress as well. And if mm. you're progressing, mm. that means you're addressing issues that actually currently exist. Right. Mm. So there's, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you're talking about like a leadership excellence or a personal excellence as well as, so it's easy to expect excellence from your team members. Turn up, know the songs or know your the part that you're playing and do it really well. Um, but then what you're describing, I feel like is is more the personal excellence of the of the whole thing, but also particularly the leadership. Right. Um, but as a leader then, uh, sometimes you have to move beyond what's comfortable or what you feel mm-hmm. is um, normal or whatnot to, to lead well, uh, mm-hmm. to lead excellently. And I think that's a challenge. You know, that's something I take on myself. I have to actually step up to that place of excellence in leadership in order to lead to lead well, to lead right. excellently. And it's a thing we have to think about how we're leading, it's, not just yeah, getting the job done. Especially in our in our world here, it's so the activity is in, in a, it's relentless. So it is very difficult for a leader to be objectively, for example, do an event or a service and then take the time to look back at that. Right. Because in a sense, it, Sunday is coming again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it takes really takes some mental fortitude mm-hmm. and some commi- some conviction to look yeah. back at something that's already been. Mm to learn lessons that would inform the next one. Yeah. Practically speaking, for us as a team, we do things like service reports mm-hmm. so yeah. that every service after the service, the, someone will f- complete a, a questionnaire essentially looking at the key areas of the service to see if it went well or it didn't do mm-hmm. well because the baseline is excellence. We want yeah, things right. to go well and then to be improving from that. What we're trying to go for is it's this whole other level of excellence, isn't yeah. it? It's a whole other spirit of probably encapsulate some of the other things that we were talking about, but growing personal growth, personal yeah. responsibility, personal health, and being excellent in gifting and in, in, right. in service and all areas, yeah. which is a lot harder to do, but it's important. It is. Mm-hmm. I think it's just making it personal. Did I bring my best in everything that I did? And a lot of times you're the only one that will know because right. you could have yeah, right. turned up and right. looked the part, but you had a horrible attitude or you didn't yeah. treat people well or you just, you know, so a lot of exactly. it is like, you're the only one that's going to know how you're going in this stuff anyways. But mm-hmm. if that is always a compass of like whatever I'm doing, whether it's seen or unseen, is it my, like, am I bringing my best? Yeah, Absolutely. And that best is independent of someone else's best, isn't yeah. it? As in, right, so yes. you, yeah. what you might bring might be completely different to what I bring. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we both have to bring our best. Right. Yeah. That's right. So then in our personal leadership, what's one area that we've been trying to work on or that we could just use as a practical example for people to, to you know, think about in their own leadership? Just personally? Yeah. I've tried to... 
I'm still working on it. <laughs> um, just start being prepared for things way before I need to be. Like mm-hmm. not waiting till I'm asked to speak or share something, but just always having something ready and making it a habit, not something that I have to do because I'm asked, mm. but just always preparing something Love to that. push myself. I think it's being able to kind of review whatever it is I'm, I'm, I'm part of in terms of activity at church. I've mm. got to be able to review that honestly. Like, you know, even though the overarching banner, banner of, of our service, maybe it was great, mm. I've got to look at the contribution I brought to that and actually review and say, okay, was that as, as good as it could have been? And if not, what am I doing about it? Mm. And I would be the same. I think having the, I guess, the inner strength to look back at my contribution. That's right. And make sure it was as good as it could be yeah. and even ask for feedback mm. on that to, to make be making sure that I'm improving because I think that's the hardest thing. It I is. can contribute and I can do it all day, every day, but doing it well and then improving on it yeah. the next time, that's hard. Mm. Yeah. So that would be my one thing. Well, that's it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that on iTunes, YouTube or SoundCloud. And I'd encourage you to do that so you can be a part of the journey with us. We'd love to hear from you too. So if you want to give us your comments, do that on our Instagram. It's at HillsongWCC. And we'll see you next time.